Welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners are celebrated as the backbone of the American economy. Each week, we introduce you to tycoons who share their stories and advice so that small business owners may learn from their experiences. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners and Pivotal Advisors. Join us now as our hosts connect you to today's tycoons. Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona. The weather is beautiful here. As you can see, if you're watching us on video, I'm wearing my University of Utah gear today from the Rose Bowl. And uh, you'll you'll understand here in just a minute why that's the case. But uh, if this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast or watching us on YouTube, Tycoons of Small Biz is a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. And our sole purpose is to prop up the small business owner community because we believe that it truly is the backbone of the American economy. And we want to make sure that they're celebrated. They have an opportunity to share their story, share their successes, share their their failures, their advice, anything that's going to help other entrepreneurs and small business owners to thrive in, in, uh, in our economy here in the country. So with that being said, we definitely have a podcast or excuse me, a tycoon on our podcast today. We've got Brian Sather, CEO of Blacksmith International and West Brand Lab coming to us, as you guessed it, from Park City, Utah. So Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Austin. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I had to, I had to put my Utah gear on. I actually had the the uh, quarter zip jacket on already, and then I thought, oh, that's right, Brian's in Park City, so I got to put my University of Utah hat on as well. Yeah, I saw that. that was, that's impressive. I, I have my um, University of Utah stools back there. They're a little off camera, but um, yeah, go use. That was awesome. They they were there, and you you went, huh? Yeah, obviously not the outcome that we were looking for, but being there was a was a cool experience. Uh, I think we talked about this in our pre-call call. I've got a nephew that plays on the offensive line for the University of Utah, and so you know, being there to support him was awesome. Yeah, that was uh, the whole the whole city. I mean, everybody really got behind it, and uh, you know, everyone here are big youth fans. And after the loss, everyone was still just totally pumped up about what they did. That was great. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You can't, you can't knock them for having two straight, you know, Pac-12 championships, going to the Rose Bowl two years in a row. You, you just can't beat that. Yep. And the only team in the country that really made USC not look as good as everybody thought they were. Right. Right. There's always that. I mean, yeah. there's one of those teams. There's ne- they're never an easy out. It doesn't matter who, who they're playing. Yep. Yep. No doubt about it. Well, uh, Brian, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've got a really cool story. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start actually by just kind of having you tell that story. Tell about you personally. Tell about where you grew up and then kind of, you know, what brought you to, to where you are today. And and I'll just kind of throw this out there for for people who are listening who, who aren't aware of this. You know, Utah is a tech hub in the country. I mean, a lot of people don't really realize that but they call it the Silicon Slopes because of the skiing that, that goes on in, in the state of Utah. But there are major, major, major tech startups and, and tech giants that come out of the state of Utah. And so excited to have you on and obviously talk about what you do for the entrepreneur community in, in Utah. Yeah, um, I mean, hopefully, uh, hopefully something, you know, we certainly try. One of the things that's really interesting about your, your, your podcast and as me excited is that you do focus in on these small businesses 
Um, that's another thing about Utah that people don't necessarily realize until they come here, that this state is heavily, heavily, heavily entrepreneurial. Um, and that's one thing. I came here from California. And coming here, I realized, I saw very quickly, things really operate through referral and network. You know, being in the entrepreneurial community here is way, way different than what the experience is in California or, or Seattle or these places. I mean, not that everyone has their pluses and minuses, but it's a really strong community here. We've tried, um, I've, I've personally, it's, it's always been a goal of mine to do as much as I can uh, for that community. Uh, for instance, we, did, we, launched, uh, we launched what's called Product Power Up. So we do these, these um, shows, we'd have mainstay speakers, lots of good people who understood what was going on in, in, the, in the world of physical products, e-commerce, all of that, because so much activity was here. We, I think the last year we had 2,000 people at that event. And so it's, it's, it's really important to me, and people know here that if they call me and ask advice or ask anything of me, if I can give it, I'll give it. And that's the give back because this network and this community has just done so much for me. You know, it's, a, it's been a great place. Yeah, for sure. I think that's I think that's really cool, obviously, because not only do you get to fulfill your personal entrepreneurial dreams, but what you do as an entrepreneur is helping other entrepreneurs, which has got to be very rewarding. Yeah, it, it, it is for me. It almost feels like an obligation. Plus, it's not hard because I'm interested in it. And that's what interests me. But, you know, you, you asked originally about me. And um, and I think that that's part of a part of my story is that I've tried everything. You know, if you go back to um, California, living in Silicon Valley in the, in the tech boom and seeing uh, that rise and, and sort of fall, but certainly rose again. Going through that, working at startups, uh, I was at Fortune 500s, um, really did everything until I got to this point in my journey, which has been, I am no longer interested in being part of a culture that I don't help define. That makes sense. That's what entrepreneurship does for me. It allows me to really dictate my life and how it goes. And, and so the journey of going, you know, from Silicon Valley to here has been um, probably about as fulfilling as a journey could be. So how long ago was that transition? When did you come to Utah? That was in 2014. We moved out here, wanted to be close to, to the mountains and the, you know, skiing. My wife and I both love to ski and our kids are amazing, amazing skiers already. And it just seemed like the thing to do. And and. Once I was here, I kind of fell into this, this thing I'm doing now, which is not tech at all. You know, I've got this tech background. I love startups. I love uh, the people who create really interesting technology. I love to use it. I'm typically an early adopter of things. But we really went analog with Blacksmith. And that, that was really looking at how could we get products made for American companies quicker and better and at lower risk than what was available on the market at the time. And when you say get products made, I mean, we're, we're talking about essentially manufacturing, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. Blacksmith International is a manufacturer of consumer goods. Now, specifically, we do a, a lot of uh, apparel. We do hard goods of various sorts. We do some electronics. But um, where we focus is on providing products for the active lifestyle brands that are that are over. And that can be ski, snowboard. It can be um, swim. It can be casual lounge where anything that has to do with an outdoor lifestyle or active lifestyle, it's a lot of it is outdoor, but an active lifestyle, we get that product made. So those brands contract with us. They work with us to make sure we understand their product and their specs. And then we find a facility somewhere around the world that's capable of making that to the specs, you know, making it and making it right are often two different things. And um we get it made and delivered. Yeah, which I mean, obviously, is is not an easy thing. I'm I'm yeah. sure everybody who's listening to this has has heard of the show Shark Tank, right? And so, you know, there's there's some realities to that show. There's some you know not so true to to, to real life, right? But there is this theme specifically of entrepreneurs that come onto that show that are manufacturing any type of product that that's a struggle for them. Yeah. That's yeah. typically the main reason that they come to the tank seeking an investment, but really more of a partner. Help me. How do I do this? How do I get my manufacturing costs down? How do I source manufacturing? How do I do this or that? Right. And that's, it sounds to me like that's really what your guys' sweet spot is. It, it, it is. I think that you're spot on. You know, it's, it's, it's really, can we, the brands believe that we can get it made better than they can um, simply because we have relationships on the ground. We have, we have the thing, you know, I, I think we talked about this. What makes my industry possible is the fact that manufacturing left the United States and went overseas. China then created this incredible ecosystem and started delivering product to small U.S. businesses. But what what wasn't known then, I think what people didn't look at, and this is really important if you're a listener today, that because someone was able to go and find a factory that loved them, appreciated them, delivered for them, and got product made and made a great business of it, doesn't mean that that's always going to be the case. In fact, it's often not. You know, I had a business, this, uh, this is back probably you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s. And we had a, we had a company that we were making product. We were making physical product in China. Um, and we got a very large contract. We got a very large contract, but that contract came with a lot of strings. We had to hit certain dates and we had to hit quality parameters. If so, the contract was, was uh, in effect and we were delivering product. If we didn't, void. What happened on that is we spent a lot of time designing everything properly. We, we found a factory, didn't know what we were doing. I mean, literally didn't, we just did what everybody else did when found a phone number in a factory and started working. We ended up getting an entire container full of defective product, like 100% defective. Now, all that product could be remade. Um, you know, we, we could tweak it and make it work. But the problem is there was no buyer for it at that point. It was done. There was no contract. And so that kind of an um, experience to me 
is what made what I'm doing now so attractive because there was so much of it happening. You talk about the Shark Tank companies and minus other stories I have about some of them, but, um, you know, people go on there and there's typically one of two issues in my mind. You can, you can pretty much sum them all up in either sales channel or supply chain. I, I mean, the, there's always money issues, right? But those money issues relate to something in there, like go to market or your supply chain. So, you know, we look at us at Blackstone's being about 50% of that equation. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, a great place to sit. Rob, obviously, you either choose your niche, which you guys have done on the manufacturing side. But like you said, those two main issues are the issues that, that 90% of all entrepreneurs struggle with, mm-hmm. specifically if you're inventing a new product or a category, because you're just an inventor. You're typically an idea person. You come up with this great concept and you think this is awesome, but you have no idea how to get it to market, no idea how to manufacture it, no idea how to run the business, no idea how the finances work. Like all of these things are are key factors of success and you need a true operator or a partner in each of those areas to kind of help you with those things. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, and and uh, oftentimes an entrepreneur or a founder will know one or the other. They might they'll be a marketing genius or they'll be a supply chain whiz. We see companies come from both directions, um, but rarely are you both. And this is a distinction I think that makes blacksmith and the way that we've chosen to go about this. Because remember, we I, I didn't come at this with a, any kind of background. I didn't I didn't know how to do this. I came. My experience was as a failure. not a very good track record to start this business, but we did know enough to hire the people who did know how. And so we hired those people, invested heavily in those people. And we've created a six-point, six-step process that, that every product has to go through. You know, this is intuitive. I think everybody knows this fast to sit down and listen, but you're looking at design and development of your product. You're, you're looking at managing production, quality assurance, logistics, some plan for scale, and then you're good. If you can cover those things, um, if you can cover all of those, you're going to be in pretty good shape. So we've sat down and, and created a whole just skeleton of every step that a company needs to go through in order to get through those steps. Every individual. We came out with over 250 individual items that need to be checked off. And each one of those has a process behind it. And so we didn't solve this problem through tech. We solved it through process. Yeah. And we tried tech, believe me, we tried. Yeah, I mean, I, I was on a call earlier today and we were talking a little bit about technology. And, and you know, the reality is technology doesn't solve everything, right? I mean, the reality is it, it's there to make things easier, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't solve the problems, right? So if you can automate certain things using software or other technologies, great. But it's not going to solve these day-to-day issues, that, that 250-point checklist that you kind of laid out there. So mm-hmm. let, let's kind of talk through that. Like, Let's say I decide that I want to 
you know, I, I think I we talked about before the show started. I did a smart a Spartan race on Saturday. Mm-hmm. First one I've ever done, right? And I really I got invited the Thursday prior. So that's, nine that's, days. That's crazy, by the way. I just want to <laughs> well, I was given this presentation and I was talking about the importance of kind of doing something that always keeps you outside of your comfort zone and yeah. that it kind of drives you as an entrepreneur. And so a member of the audience says, hey, I've got an extra ticket for this Spartan next Saturday. Are you interested? And, I, you know, I, I felt I didn't really feel pressure, but I thought, well, I can't really say no now, given what I just said. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a guy who's in decent shape, but not phenomenal shape. I'm trying to, to I'm actually getting ready to start training for a half Ironman. I've done some in the past, but I've had an issue each time that I've done it to where I either got pulled from the course for an injury or I got pulled from the course because an injury caused me to be too slow to get through certain aspects and to be able to finish. So I haven't finished and I I will not stop until I complete a 70.3 Ironman, right? So I'm working towards that, but I'm really only at a point where I'm running like a 5K And this one that I'm signed up for is a 10K with 25 obstacles, right? So that's that's kind of the background. But I also had no idea what those obstacles entailed. I'd seen some pictures. I knew there were certain things. I knew there were certain things that I'd be fine with. And then everything else was kind of an unknown. And so I show up there on race day. I've got a pair of shorts on. I got a shirt on. And I've got a camelback on. And then they give you a headband right? That has your number on it. And that's it. That's what I left with. Well, I got out there and I, you know, I'm crawling through the mud under barbed wire and I'm thinking, man, I really wish I had uh, uh, tights on to protect my knees because my legs are all scratched up. I got a big bruise on my knee, you know, all these kinds of things. So long story short, there were also a lot of obstacles where you hang, you do monkey bars, you do rings, all these sorts of things. And I thought, man, I wish I would have brought some, some gloves because I would add better grip. You're trying to grip metal monkey bars with wet hands, you know? So it, it just didn't go. I, I finished, I was able to complete it. I did way better than I would have expected, but to kind of go back. So let's say I decide I want to, to manufacture some gloves that are perfect for a Spartan race that are going to be wet, but still give me some grip on monkey bars or they're going to, you know, whatever. And so I come to Brian and I say, Brian, this is my idea. This is what I want to be able to accomplish. How do I engage with Brian? Is it a consulting fee? Is it hourly? Is it a, you know, a subscription? Are you guys taking a piece of my company? Explain how you guys work. Yeah, that is, well, yes. (laughs) All of those things, right? There's, there's, there's different ways um, to approach it, but I just wanted to say about the events. So I've trained for a half Ironman twice and I've never made it to race day. Even starting from a place where I'm in really good shape, there's always some injury that has crept up. So I have not done it either. But unlike you, I've let the dream die. (laughs) That's it for me. The question is, who's the smart one, right? We don't know the answer to that yet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I, I, I get it. I would say that there's multiple ways to answer this question, but let's focus on the the simplest form of that question. Like, what are we going to do if you come and say, 
I need to make a book. So the, the first thing that we do is because of the types of projects that come to us, we've had to get really, really good at defining what we're good at. Um, because there's an entire intake process that people are going to go through. We're going to learn everything about the company. Yeah, it's not as simple as saying, here's my prototype or here's a picture. Go make this and come back and tell me. Um, we're going to understand. It's almost like a planning session. We're going to understand who your customer is, where your price points are, what your sales channel is, what resources you have to do it, those types of things. And then we're going to put that into a sort of algorithm that we've created, and that's going to give us a score. And that score is going to say, do we think that the company and the idea have legs and can we help? And it's a combination of those two things. And so um, we turn turn away well over 50%, even up to 80% of the people who come our way because it's not for us. But, um, But if it's in an active lifestyle and it's in something that we know, well, that's... You know, we'll we'll figure out how to do it. And this is an example of something that we could absolutely do. So we would get that and presumably we get a really good score and we're all in agreement and we're all signed up to go. So what we're going to do is there's going to be some level of design and development that has to go on. Now that we do provide on a fee basis. We'll say the project is going to cost X in order to get to buy ready. And buy ready means I can place an order everyone's ready to go. It's, a, it's just a flip of a switch and everything's in place. So um, once we go into buy ready, then we're going to have already determined what the price of this thing is and therefore what the cost needs to be. And we found a facility that can, that can um, make it at that cost. And that's going to include any fees that we have. So that'll include everything. Everything up to when it leaves the factory. That's the simplest form of that. Now, if we go to a more complex form um, where we say this is an incredible idea, it's right in our wheelhouse, um, we want to. We think that we add enough value that we should partner. So I, I'm, you mentioned West Brand Lab in the beginning of this podcast, and that's, that's what the West Brand Lab is what has grown out of that need. We've, we've seen that space in the market. And so West Brand Lab is a heavily strategic, brand-focused, go-to-market-focused. So if a, if a brand comes to us with a great idea and says, hey, we want to create this new brand extension line, but we don't necessarily have the people, you know, resources are short, or we don't have the knowledge, then West can take that and build out everything from soup to nuts, 360-degree everything you need to launch that brand. And that has uh, honestly been probably where we've seen most growth in our brands doing that. And that we will do in a number of ways. So there may be a partnership where we're doing a JV. There may be an equity stake in whatever or a profit share in whatever that brand is doing, but that's the way we'll typically operate with those. All right. So we're getting to the point where... Uh... We'll get ready to take a break here. But before we go to break, I, I do want to kind of back up uh, on a couple of things. So, you know, you said you you kind of started this coming off of a failure, like trying to do something, go to China, manufacture all this, and then there was a failure. And so you weren't really qualified to be <laughs> to be doing this. But 
you know, I think, and we all know that we learn way more from our failures than our successes. So maybe just kind of speak to to kind of what you learned from there. And then before we go to break and, and have this quick call to action from our listeners, yeah. I have to ask you about the room you're standing in there with all the, the, the guitars in the background. If you go to what has made us successful, which is really the people that we put into place because they were knowledgeable in the industry enough to create a process. I came at this realizing that there was a big problem and that there were all these brands out there and probably a a lot of the listeners who had created something out of nothing and scaled it up on Instagram or, or something like that. Lots and lots of those. And those folks were going to China the same way I did. At that time, it was almost all China. Now it's branched out considerably. But they've gone to China. They've they've tried to find a factory. For whatever reason, they found one. It was great. It worked. And now all these brands are tycoons, right? Now, what we aren't hearing from are all the ones that it didn't work for. So when I I saw how big the problem was, like, well, we gotta we gotta hire the right people. So there are people who built supply chains for Nike, um, for Puma, for you know Lululemon companies like this that really nail supply chain. That's where we focus. We focused on bringing those people in to build this process to make sure that it actually would work for the next person that came along. And so, coming out of a failure, I agree with you that you learned so much for those. What's the story about you know, the the manager whose business unit loses a million bucks and gets called into the office and he says, "That's a, you know, I understand, boss." I, you can have my resignation. He's like, I'm not firing you. I just spent a million dollars training you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where you get all this. You lose money. You figure out quickly how to do it. And, and I had thought initially, you know, let's build some technology to solve it as that just didn't work. Okay, let's, let's find the people who know how to solve it and bring them in. And I, I knew that we as a, a company, the, the, the founders didn't have that knowledge. We understood how to scale a business. We had the desire and the love of the industry. And we really needed to bring the people who knew what they were doing. And that's what we did. Yeah, I think that that's where a lot of entrepreneurs kind of miss is they're not willing to admit that they don't know what they don't know, right? And so in your case, you knew that, that you had a great head for strategy. You had a great head for identifying a winning brand or a winning product but you weren't quite sure how all the day-to-day stuff, the supply chain, the logistics, that you know, all that kind of stuff. And so you went and found the best people that you could find that yep. have worked for these large brands, have already figured it out and convinced them to come to work for you. Yeah. And and we are lucky in ways because we I, our our employees view us as a mission-driven business. They feel a mission. And so through COVID, through downs in the market, we we just don't lose people. Our attrition is very, very low. And people come to us at, to work because they are uh, they feel like we can solve big problems. Now, what is the, what are the it's not just that we can get a product made, it's that we understand where to go for true sustainability. It's that we understand where to go for best in class cut and sew. We have the partners that can deliver, that can distribute, that can do all of these things. And all of that came from hiring the people who knew 
all of those people who saw the potential to create something that they felt vested in and really, really loved to do. And they do, they come to work for us and they stay working for us. And it's, um, it's been probably one of the things I'm most satisfied in as, a, as an entrepreneur is putting together a leadership team that is way smarter than I am, way more knowledgeable than I am. And when we have a problem, we all get together and go, how are we going to solve it? That's fun. That's yeah. fun stuff. It's not the drudgery of, of you know, day to day. You might not like doing the books or this or that, but when you can focus with a leadership team, like with a like-minded group of people and know that every single time a product, uh, an issue comes up, the reaction is going to be, let's solve it. It's high-powered people bring. I agree with you 100%. I think that, that you know, the, the key is like-minded, right? So everybody understands you're marching towards the same vision. Everybody wants the same outcome. Yep. That does not mean that you want yes men or yes women who are willing to just you know follow Brian, right? You want people who are going to challenge you. And sometimes ego-driven entrepreneurs are they have a hard time with that and accepting that. But the, you know, we all know that we are the average of the people we surround ourselves with. So you should be surrounding yourselves with people who are smarter than you in many aspects because that's going to lead the whole organization to be better. Yeah, I, I agree. One of, the, one of the, it's funny that one of the reasons that I'm here in this business right now is that the last big job that I took, I was, it, was a, it was a tech company and I was, I was brought in on this team. It was a $100 million project, huge project. And I was part of this team that was sort of assembled to deliver this product. I won't mention um, any names, but what I saw there was the first time in my career that I saw um, that I was surrounded by a group of people who didn't make me feel good about me. And call it my problem or their problem. I don't know whose problem it was. Yeah. Um, but I was surrounded by a culture that I didn't understand, didn't work for me, made me, um, it didn't make me feel smart and capable and ready to solve a problem. It made me feel, feel inadequate, which yeah. is a tough thing for, you know, for a, for a man in our culture to say, feeling inadequate in a situation. And when I got out of that, I was like, oh, I will never do that again. I will never be part of that kind of a, uh, a, a leadership team ever again. And that to me meant that I had to control it, that I had to, and I don't mean dictate it. I mean, put the, the process in place and the intention in place to create a great culture and have everyone create it together. My job to put the process and the plan in place and to set the intention, it's their job to to execute on that. And that goes through everything. Now, if you're a if you're a product entrepreneur, understanding that, whether your team is your wife and your 18-year-old son or your team is 150 people, understand that the people around you are really smart and they're really capable. And if you lead them and if you create an atmosphere that brings that out in them, uh, the world's your oyster. If you don't, you'll waddle in mediocrity, and we see that all the time. Smartest guy in the room uh, is rarely successful, despite what you see on TV. 
No doubt about it. I think that's a great time to to take a quick break. We'll hear a quick call to action from our listeners, and then we'll come back and let you tell us about those guitars on the wall. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't get to that. Sorry. (laughs) No worries. Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back. We're here with Brian Sather, CEO of Blacksmith International and West Brand Lab. We've we've uh, talked a lot about what it is that they do at West Brand and Blacksmith International and how they help entrepreneurs, how they help build brands, and they're they're really doing some some great work in the Silicon Slopes there in Utah. So, Brian, before we go too too much further, tell us about those guitars on the wall. So many stories, the posters too. Uh, so when I came out of college, I was a total, you know, your average '90s misfit, not knowing what they were going to do with themselves. And and I was a musician, so I started. I just I was in a band, and we just kept doing that. You know, I didn't I didn't get a job. I didn't go to work for somebody. We were playing music. And so that's, that was what started my love of collecting guitars. And at this point, um, I think it's so important that people have something that keeps them active and thinking and, and something that's separated from their business, something that's not, doesn't feel like the day to day. And that's mine. I mean, I like the art. I like how they look. I like playing them. That's a great thing. And then I've, I have a lot of different concert posters. I love music and spend a lot of time with music. And just so I don't know about you, but has people talk to you about life balance does, or work-life balance? Does that resonate with you, that concept? Yes and no, right? I mean, I think the way that the world describes it is is kind of a misnomer, mm-hmm. but I believe 100% that that you should be balanced. And, and I talk all the time in my Vistage group or, you know, anybody who will listen to me about the things that I do every single morning that have nothing to do with my business before I ever touch my business, right? And so that for you, that could be playing the guitar. For me, it uh-huh. might be exercising. It might be reading something inspirational or otherwise, but keeping it completely away from business until business hours. I would answer that some, like you said, it resonates and it doesn't. Like you can see the things that are business, you can see the things that are not. But what what I've always, what I've always thought is that the my perfect scenario for my personality is to have it all intermingled, separate. When I'm doing one thing, I want to be doing all that thing. I also, if I have ten minutes, I want to have a, a guitar within reach. Or some people, it might be a journal within reach or weights within reach, whatever it is. But to me, it seemed like it all kind of ran together. And I always liked that. And so when I, um, this this room, I designed this room specifically for that. On this side of the, of the room, I have my work. I have the computer that I'm talking to you on. I have my little studio set up over here, another computer. And, um, and I can kind of function. For an entire day 
right here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to. I don't have to do anything else. You know, it's all right here at my reach, and it all. I don't feel like I'm completely separate at any one time from the other things. Separating activity, yes, but not feeling like I'm being pulled too far away from the things that I want to be able to do. So that, that was the very intentional thought that went into the period in this room. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's 100% your space. Right. Yeah. And I would say the same thing about the room I'm, I'm sitting in, right. I don't have a bunch of cool guitars, but you can see behind me that I've got baseball stuff and I've got yeah. Fenway park and, you know, I've got the the medal from the Spartan race on, on Saturday. And, you know, I, I kind of rotate certain things cause I've got other medals and whatever, but it's indicative of who I am personality wise. And, and reminds me, you know, kind of why I do what I do. Cause I've got other stuff on the walls over here that you can't yeah. see, but if it's, uh, if it's, yeah, if it's good for the soul, keep it close. Brian, before we uh, kind of run out of time, there are a couple things that, that I think uh, are important to mention it, you know, I, I think that <laughs> like in all industries or news in general, it, what you see on the news is always the sensationalized views of whatever, or one thing happened, but it happened to be so sensational that, that it gets the coverage, right? And so obviously supply chain and outsourcing to China and all those kinds of things has been big time in the news over the last few years with everything that's gone on. And there's all this, this concept of nearshoring and, and different things. So I, I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your thoughts on that, how much it affected you and the entrepreneurs that you guys worked with and, and what you see for the future in that aspect. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because it has been such an interesting time. And I don't say interesting lightly in that context. Um, if you think about the last few years, I'm sure there's people listening who have gone through this. There was a trade war. Anybody manufacturing outside of the United States was impacted by that trade war. COVID, everybody again was impacted by that, not just supply chain, but everybody. Then you had, I'll, I'll throw in computer or excuse me, factory closures that followed COVID, even after we in this country started getting past it. There are lots of closures happening. And then you have rising political tensions between China and the United States, um, port congestion. Like there's so many things that have been thrown at people who are making product. Um, and we were right in the middle of that. And of course we were impacted. One that I didn't mention that maybe even impacted uh, consumer goods brands more was the change in algorithms on social media platforms. I mean, we are rapidly approaching the time when a brand can no longer scale on social media, like it, it rapidly, if they can at all now. So there's, you have a whole handful of changes that have hit everyone all at once. So what that has taught us, and I think it's taught a lot of companies out there, is that we are now past the time when you can have a brand simply contact a factory and get something manufactured well. It's, it, it, it's almost impossible. I'd say five, six years ago was the heyday of being able to do that, and it was tough then. So all of those things impacted us. It impacted our clients. It made a bunch of clients sort of fall off and, uh, and not manufacture at all. It, made, uh, it, it, it created a sort of 
what we now see is a glut of product in the market. You know, people who, as soon as COVID opened up, as soon as supply chains opened up, they had over orders. Now they're sitting on a whole bunch of product. I could go on and on with the issues that, are, that have hit the industry. But what we see now is the rise of a different kind of opportunity. First of all, omni-channel presence when you're creating a, a product brand. It's no longer enough to go direct to consumer and think you're going to build out a, a, a business because the social rhythm, social media algorithms will not allow it. You have the, the ability now to, how would you say this, so you, to use tribe. Brands that can, can build tribe, brands that can create a marketing following, you're seeing this in the video game industry, for example. Video game, up create tribe, up to mass market in television or cartoon, whatever it might be. Like that, those types of things are happening now at a really fast pace. And that's, the, that's a huge opportunity. The next thing is that you can go and, and, um, and create, or I still call it niche is the new mass, this idea. Niche is the new mass. If you can get good at creating niche as a product company, figure out how do you drill into the most minute, the smallest common denominator of your market and start building around that very carefully, those, those types of companies are growing really quickly. And they're going from that niche and spreading. You know, I think we see this with uh, a lot of the outdoor brands, for example, um, that are really getting drilled down into a very specific form or function. Shoes, apparel, all that's happening. So the, the opportunities that we're seeing right now are much more, they might take more time and more effort um, to get your following built up, but it's a much more secure, you're not relying on an Instagram following. It's a much more secure route to have wholesale programs, direct consumer programs, collaboration programs, this omni-channel presence in the market. Is, is happening at a really fast pace. So the, the opportunities are, are everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's being done a little different way and you need to find the people who understand how to do that. I feel like we could have you on for a, a whole nother episode to talk about how we address those specific, you know, issues. And, and maybe we should talk about, you know, having you come back on in three to six months and talk about that because I don't think that everybody realizes that like how much it changed from the social media algorithms to how should we be manufacturing now? How do we protect our company and our product from all the supply chain and logistics issues that we had and the rising political tensions? There's so many things that we could unpack that it's it's definitely worth another episode. But yeah, you know we we kind of come to the end of our time. We know that uh, you need to wrap up. You've got some important things that you need to attend to as well. And you know, Brian, I really appreciate you having the time or taking the time to come on our show and share your experience and share your background with our listenership. And um, I'll just turn it back over to you and let you know, or let you have our audience know how to get in touch with you. All right. Well, I, first off, I appreciate the time. I mean, I, I, I know um, all that you guys put into these shows. And, and so for me, it's just a, it's an honor to come and, and share my story. When I do this, I just hope that I have, provide some value to anybody out there listening. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I'd love to, to think it is. If I haven't, uh, and you want to give me another shot, you can check us out at 
on our website, which is www.blacksmith.int.com for Blacksmith International, blacksmithint.com. You can reach out to me directly. I meant it earlier when I said when people reach out to me, I really do try. I know how important people have been to me and their willingness to help me. I know how important that has been. And I'm willing to do that to anybody who's who's out there hustling and trying to make it. And you can reach me at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at blacksmithint.com. The other thing is you mentioned that I am also CEO of West Brand Lab. Um, these two organizations are very closely knit, uh, Blacksmith and, and West. And you can check our website out there at westbrandlab.com. Again, I, I thank you. I would love to come back and, and talk more. It seems I can do that for hours if people let me. <laughs> so I'd love to do that. It's been an honor. And um, anyone out there, yeah, reach out anytime. If you have a product that you, you just want us to look at, we're happy to do that. Or if you just want to chat. Well, yeah, no, we, we really appreciate what you brought to the table today. I, I know that people obviously saw the value there and, and heard some of the things that you bring to the table as an organization and, and as an individual. And, and for me personally, I appreciate you responding to our outreach and, and welcome you, you know, to come on the show. So appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Arizona time for an introduction to another great tycoon. And be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.